you'll turn with me to Judges chapter 14, we are considering the story of Samson. Judges chapter 14, I'll read the whole chapter. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So we went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of the brethren or among all my people? that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and tore the lion apart, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. When he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well, after after some time, when he returned to get her, He turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hand and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there. For young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought him 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days, they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother. So should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? 
And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed thirty of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife had given, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we read your word, and we gather together expectantly tonight, Father, expecting to see Christ in your word, and we pray that you would open up our eyes. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, help us to, dis- to drop the distracting cares of the world from our minds and focus on you completely in this next hour of worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, by way of review, we are considering the story of Samson, and we're asking the question, who will save God's people? In chapter 13, we saw that a child of promise was called out by the angel of the Lord, and that that child of promise would begin to deliver the people of Israel. We noted, first of all, that God's people are lost in sin enslaved to the Philistines, and that for the first time in the book, they committed sin and did not cry out to God. They were not even able to cry out. They were unable to. The angel of the Lord comes to them in their spiritual barrenness and obscurity with the promise of a Savior. This deliverer would be set apart by God, holy unto God, would be a Nazarite, But not just a Nazarite for a limited period of time, as we discussed in number six, but a Nazarite from birth. The law of the Nazarite, Numbers chapter six, requires that upon completion of the Nazarite commitment, that a sacrifice was to be made. A lamb, spotless and blameless, was to be offered. We noted that upon the completion of Christ's work in John 17, Christ says, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And then he offers himself as a sacrifice, spotless and without blemish. When asked the name, when asked for his name, the angel of the Lord replies that it is too wonderful. And we discussed that that word also means secret, wonderful secret. It is that idea. It's too lofty to understand. The whole next chapter is then dominated by this idea of a secret or a riddle. Some form of this Hebrew verb occurs 14 times in chapter 14. The words went down occur five times and sort of frame these riddles or this secret. So there are four primary secrets that we are going to look at tonight. The secret of Yahweh's purpose in verses 1 through 4. The secret of the slaying of the lion. The secret of the honey. And the secret of the riddle. So 
it's important to understand that the strangeness of Samson's actions are somewhat of a riddle itself. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to attempt to explain absolutely everything that Samson does. Um, Matthew Henry here says, Samson was himself a riddle, a paradox of a man, did that which was really great and good by that which was seemingly weak and evil, because he was designed not to be a pattern to us who walk by rule, not by example, but a type of him who, though he was, though he knew no sin, was made sin for us and appeared in the likeness of sinful flesh, that he might condemn and destroy sin in the flesh. So I want us to consider this story by considering the work of Christ. So what do we need to know about Timnah, which appears in verse 1 and several verses after that? Timnah has a little bit of a reputation for the people of God, uh, especially for the tribe of Judah. Timnah had been given to the tribe of Dan in Joshua chapter 19, but this city is now occupied by Philistines. So there's a story in and of itself there that now the Philistines have occupied a city that was to be a city for God's people. But Timnah is where Judah mistook his his daughter-in-law for a harlot in Genesis chapter 38. And this significant indiscretion would be on instant recall for the Israelites. Judah was the line of the kings where the scepter was never to be removed. Genesis 49. Judah was the unifying tribe at the beginning of the book of Gen- or at the beginning of the book of Judges, which we discussed last time. Judah was the one that was gathering everybody together and fighting battles against the people of the land. And we see in the next chapter that it is actually men from Judah, 3,000 of them, that turn over Samson to the Philistines. So Judah is a character in this narrative. How could the Savior of God's people come from this line of Judah? The weakness of God's servants is highlighted throughout the book of Judges. In Judges 4, Barak lost glory because he wouldn't leave Israel unless Deborah went with him. Gideon puts out a test for God twice. Jephthah swears a sinful vow and then appears to have kept it by murdering his own daughter in the preceding narrative. And we find Samson's appetite for Philistine women ultimately proves to be his undoing. So as a first point, we see the secret of Yahweh's purpose, the divine plan of God. Given how things have gone in Judges, you might be tempted to think that God merely finds a man and then suits the man to the task. So we looked last time at the entire uh, chapter 13, which is dedicated to the birth story, which is unique in the book of Judges. God's ultimate solution is not to raise up a deliverer that is already available to him. But the redemptive plan of Yahweh stretches back much further. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1. First Peter 1, 1.17 If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, 
Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your, aim, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these latter times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Before the foundation of the world, a way of salvation was to be provided for God's people, not a reaction to man's sin, but in order to show forth his glorious grace. Even the sinfulness of man will not thwart the divine plan of God. In chapter 14, verse 4 of Judges, it is Yahweh that intends to find an occasion against the Philistines. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Samson, in verse 3, is clearly following his glands rather than some revealed divine purpose of God. Just to be clear, Samson's pleasure rather than God's purposes carry the day for Samson. Let's not sugarcoat Samson's sin here. There is perhaps a moral lesson about marrying within the faith. And while my goal here is not to turn this exhortation into a Christian morality from Samson discussion, many of the commentators, including Matthew Henry, maybe Matthew Henry most of all, comment on this wickedness. And so I feel it is appropriate, a point of application. Young men, you should be looking for spouses within the church. But not just any church, in the Reformed Presbyterian Church. You should consider whether you, whether you are of like faith and practice. There are many apostate churches. There have been many men that finally find a girl willing to eat a sandwich with them, only to be led astray. They say she grew up in the liberal apostate church of Timnah. She's pleasing to the eyes. They get married. It's not too long before she's ready for a change. Discontent has been allowed to fester, and they're gone before you know it. Drawn away from the church by their spouse. Now, this might not sit well with some of you, and perhaps you're ready to talk to me at the back door. Perhaps you attended the apostate church of Timnah, or you married somebody from that church. Consider that perhaps you are here only because you are the recipient of great grace. You ought to praise God for his mercy in that. And then pray for godly spouses, for the young people and the covenant youth of this church. Pray for your children and your grandchildren's future spouses. Pray for the younger married couples in the church. Pray for the young families. Pray for the ministry of the pastor and the elders in the local church and then keep praying. Our religious belief should have a big impact on the major decisions and the significant relationships that we have. Now, I'm not going to get too much further into this. Um, 
I have a little couple of pages from an OP minister called Spiritual Unity, Serious Considerations Before Marriage. And he says here, Young men and women, even those who are serious in their faith, are often tempted to ignore or minimize the differences that they will have to face if they are coming from different denominational or Christian traditions. We tend to think that if we love each other enough, we will be able to work through these things. We'll be able to work these things out as we go along and that they won't create any serious roadblocks in our relationship. He says later on, what we believe, even about the basics of Christianity, can have a dramatic impact on the health of our relationships, particularly marriage, which is the closest human relationship possible in this life. And then he goes on to deal with this topic by discussing the five membership vows of this church. It's a very interesting discussion. If you're interested, I will send this to you. So let's consider together the secret of the slaying of the lion, Yahweh's power on display. What was Samson even doing in a vineyard, you'll remember from our discussion about the Nazarite that they weren't to have anything to do with the grape. They weren't to touch raisins or the skins or the anything having to do with the grape. And here Samson is in the vineyard. He's a Nazarite from birth. Verses 5 through 9. Let's just read that again. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hand and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. The lion here is meant to show forth the power of the spirit, not only to you and I, but also to Samson, who would soon be asked to fight much greater battles. God will often send a small test to his people before great blessings or even greater tests. David was tested in the wilderness, protecting the sheep from bears, his sheep from bears and lions. Abraham was tested by being told to sacrifice Isaac, the child of promise. Jacob was tested in a dream and limped the rest of his life. Jesus was tested by Satan in the wilderness. And here, Samson was sent a test, and the power of the Spirit is on full display. The lion is subdued, even torn to pieces. There is no instrument or weapon used. The strength of the Spirit of the Lord is in Samson himself, foreshadowing the strength of the Spirit raising our Savior from the dead accomplishing our, sal- our salvation with his own body and blood. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Romans 8. What a picture of our hope in Christ. God will often, by some small deliverance or provision, show forth the adequacy of his might to the Christian. That you would trust him in some small thing and thus rely on him in the hour of trial or temptation. There was a time in this church's not too distant history that God was faithful in the midst of a trial. And within one year, Calvary was debt free, having paid off our building and other debts owed. God was faithful in the midst of that trial. We see next the secret of the riddle, the servant's weakness. If Yahweh's power is highlighted in the preceding section, it is Samson's weakness that is highlighted in the next section, verses 10 through 18. Samson is here looking to take advantage of his wedding guests. In the ancient Near East, this was a seven-day drinking party held at the father of the bride's house. Samson's new wife apparently weeps for all seven of those days. What a honeymoon. Samson's weakness of the flesh is set against the working of the spirit here. As a Nazarite, Samson shouldn't have been in the vineyard and he shouldn't be at a drinking party. If salvation is to come to God's people through this man, it won't be based in Samson's flesh, but in the power of God. Remember, this is just the beginning. Look back at 13.5. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver the people of Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. We're taught here not to despise the day of small beginnings seen in the weakness of Samson. We live in an age where we want everything right now, and there's a sense of impatience for salvation from God. Samson knows who he is and what his role is supposed to be for God's people. But the only thing this servant of God brings to the table is sin. What God intends as an opportunity against the enemies of God, in verse 4, Samson uses as a means of personal gain. He's trying to steal from these 30 men. killing of the 30 men for their suits to fulfill the obligations of a bet is not exactly exclamation worthy. The Philistine men lost, even though they had won the riddle, though. So it is with the world. The world looks like it is winning sometimes. And little children take notice of this. The world looks like it is winning But it is not. If you'll turn with me to Psalm 37. Even though I have a tendency to read whole chapters, I will just skip around a little bit. Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. 
Skipping to verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just, just, and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Verse 16. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. And then verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. This whole chapter looks at the wickedness of the world, and the destruction which they will have brought upon them. The world looks like it is winning, but even in their winning, they are losing. Remember, Joshua's warning before his death. Turn with me to Joshua 23. Joshua 23, verse 9, For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God, or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you. And he goes on. In the next chapter, we will see that Samson will go on to fight a thousand men, literally fulfilling this prophecy. The message from Samson is that whether 30 or 1,000, it is the Lord who fights for his people. God's faithfulness to save his people is on display, even when his people are lost in their sin and unable to cry out. Dear Saint, we've been laboring in our study to consider how Samson was a type of Christ And yet we should consider how Samson is also a type of the believer. Samson was a man that appeared to be endowed with all the might and strength that the world could provide. Only his strength wasn't natural. It was from the Lord. Children, don't look upon the strength of Samson and marvel at his ability. Look upon his great weakness and see the greater strength that the greater Savior has on display in Samson. We're about to sing hymn number 276, Jesus Paid It All. Your strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find me, find in me your all in all. Lord, know indeed I find your power, and yours alone can change the leper spots and melt this heart of stone. Finally, we come to the secret of the honey. 
And I will admit that this is what drew me to Samson to begin with. This mystery, this riddle, and this honey in this lion. There are really two lions that have been presented within the narrative with two different meanings. The first lion represents the roaring lion of hell, struck down without the weapons of the world. We've already discussed. The young lion came at Samson while he had no weapon in his hand. Similarly, Christ did not attempt to defend himself when he was accused. In the wilderness, Christ is brought by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. But the great lion of the tribe of Judah would overcome the wild lion of the wilderness. So we see, secondly, the second lion, the dead lion filled with honey. This lion is special. It's interesting to note that nothing in the narrative is made of Samson touching the dead carcass, something not allowed as a Nazarite, and eating something out of the carcass, neither of which were permitted. The honey itself sets this lion apart from the former lion. Honey was a significant resource in the land and represented blessings from God's hand. In in Exodus 17, the Lord saves his people with water from the rock at Meribah. And in Judges 15, which we will consider soon, Samson is saved with water that God provides from another broken rock called the spring of him who called. But the psalmist, knowing all this, says in Psalm 81, speaking of a desire for Israel's repentance, He would have fed them also with the finest wheat and with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. I want you to see from this. I want you to see this from the perspective of Old Testament Israel. So turn with me to Genesis 49. Here at the end of Genesis, just before Jacob dies, he calls his sons together. Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and the donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So again, I want you to see this from the perspective of Old Testament Israel. Judah was the tribe of the king. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. When Old Testament Israel reads this story about the dead lion in the vineyard, they see a picture of their king. And I hope you see a picture of your king, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who must die at the hands of men. It is Judah that betrays Samson in the next chapter. Death roars against our Redeemer. But, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? 1 Corinthians 15. In the honey, we find that the sting of death represented in this great and mighty lion. But in that honey from the side of the lion, we also find sweet salvation for sinners foretold to God's people. The king will die for his people. Again, 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin. The strength of the sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We must, like Samson, feast upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Samson is not stung, so we will not taste the sting of death. We must dip our hand into his side that was wounded for our transgression, and we must taste the sweet honey of salvation that comes from our Savior. Amen. If you will turn with me now to hymn number 276 and rise, Jesus paid it all. <laughs> 